Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Thoughtful Intentions. I'm your host, Fiona Winch, and today I'm joined by David Gaines. Okay, before we get started, I just have to say that this was by far the most difficult episode to edit yet. Um, David and I talked for two hours. It was so lovely to catch up with him. We haven't caught up really since college. I bought his book, Soft Boy, which he published last year when it came out, um, and we touched base then, but there was a lot of ground to cover, obviously. Selfishly, I could have kept the whole thing, but I know that would be a little bit too indulgent, and I really appreciate your time and your ears, so I did my best. Um, David did ask me at the end what people like, what they find entertaining, whether they would find this entertaining, and I was like, I mean, I do. If you're like me and you like stories about how people got to where they are by way of meaningful conversation, and yeah, I think you'll really enjoy it. But let me know, as always. And without further ado, here's David. David Gaines is a Black writer, filmmaker, and performer based in his hometown of Philadelphia. His work examines Blackness, masculinity, Christianity, and mental health through an intersectional lens and has been featured in the National Black Arts Festival, International Human Rights Arts Festival, Write About Now, among many others. David has won numerous National Slam Poetry Championships and placed fourth at the 2017 Individual World Poetry Slam. In 2020, he became the Poet Laureate of Montgomery County, PA, and his poetry short film, Fine China, received international acclaim. Using written, visual, and physical languages, he hopes to make audiences laugh, think, and reflect. Welcome, That's David. Me. That's me. Thank That's you. you. Thank you so much, I'm so excited I'm, to do this. Me too. I'm glad we finally got to make it work. Like, I know. And you we know, reached out, what, like two years ago? Um, I think it was more like a year and some change. Okay. But um, okay. Well, just to like let let people in a little bit, I had the privilege of hearing you perform slam poetry in college. Mm. Um, and not to like gas you up too much from the start. Please gas me I, up. I, I know. Yeah. I was I was always so moved by your ability to transform words into like compelling thought and inspired action and um it's just it's such a special gift and I was so excited when you published your book soft boy last year um which explores your experience as a man and as a black man in relationship with yourself and others so I got it immediately obviously um and I have been excited to talk to you ever since and honestly like I'm kind of glad that we're talking a year after because I just am even more curious about the role that the book played in your life at that time and thereafter. Um, so before we get into the nitty gritty, I know that you wanted to read, or I asked you to read something, yeah. <laughs> not you, not you asked. Um, is that something you want to do now? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do right, it now. Let's do it. Get, um, so folks hear the work, they can, you can make yeah. your own opinion, uh, dear listener. Um, and uh, yeah. So I guess I'll start with this poem. Um, okay. It's called A Poem for My Ex. Fuck you. Thank you. Um, you know, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do a real one. Um, <laughs> It's like, wait a second. That poem's not in the book. I was like, um, this doesn't sound familiar. <laughs> yeah, I wanted so I wanted to put that poem. That's just like it's a so funny. I, I just I just I like to fuck around. Yeah. Um, but I actually want to put that in my next book because I put that in softball and my homies are like, yo, this is not <laughs> this has like, nothing to do like with anything else in the book. Um 
it's just one of my favorite poems because you know that's hilarious you know fuck fuck quite quite relatable <laughs> anyway. as well. yeah yeah um yeah. okay so real one yeah okay this, this all might be you really out. fooled me there did like, i you set that up wow yeah i and i was like wait a minute <laughs> is he playing here oh yeah i'm glad okay here's the real poem okay um and this poem is the titular poem of the book it's called soft boy <clears throat> Soft boy knows he's soft, but doesn't want you to think he's soft. Soft boy not like the other boys. Soft boy has feelings and no idea what to do with them. Soft boy loves his mama. Soft boy sensitive. Soft boy cries. Soft boy wears sweaters and cuffs his jeans. Soft boy listens to Fleetwood Mac. Soft boy switches the biggie around his niggas. Soft boy is terrible at sports and being aggressive in general. Soft boy claims he ain't gay, but feels threatened around men more attractive than him. Soft boy cries. Soft boy reads books. Soft boy woke. Soft boy feminist. Soft boy says free the nipples so he can get a better view. Soft boy paints a picture of patriarchy, always landscape, never self-portrait. Soft boy wears a dress. Soft boy reinventing masculinity, or so soft boy says. Soft boy wolf in femme clothing. Soft boy evolved. Fuck boy. Soft boy cries. Soft boy likes your posts. Soft boy slides in your DMs respectfully. Soft boy doesn't fuck. Soft boy makes love. Soft boy loves to cuddle. Soft boy little spoon. Soft boy doesn't believe in labels. Soft boy ghosts you. Soft boy sorry. Soft boy has been going through it. Soft boy makes you feel guilty. Soft boy cries. Soft boy victim. Soft boy cries. Soft boy cries. Soft boy cries. Soft boy working on himself. Soft boy trying his best. Soft boy thinks his efforts enough. Soft boy thinks his softness enough enough thank you thank you so much for sharing that absolutely yeah, i want to thanks for listening in case there's any visual aspect to this i'm holding up the book right now oh you see all my wow. notes too <laughs> wow 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 um that's it's incredible. so good to hear out loud and i know that you were a little bit nervous about the potency of your performance translating mm. on the page mm. How did you feel about that after writing it? Because I felt like I read it in your voice. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, you're talking about the book in totality, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's really hard to say um, because, you know, the first time you heard me was, you know, back in the Disney. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess for context, like Fiona and I met at college. Um, yes. We both attended the Pennsylvania State University. And um, yeah, so I guess that may lend to why you know what I sound like, you know? Totally. And so yeah. there's just a different, mm. I'm always thinking about the people who are hearing me for the first time and who don't mm. really have that context. And um, that's where the nerves came in. Cause it's like, I am confident and, you know, and maybe it's arrogance, but like, if I can like perform it, I think I can like get someone's attention because mm. um, I got into poetry um, through slam, which uh, a lot of people think slam poetry is like all of performance poetry. No, like slam poetry is a very specific art form where it's a competition. It's a sport. Um, but I got into poetry through slam, through performing. And so performance has always been integral to my work. 
Um, and in fact, if I'm being honest, if I'm being really, really honest, yeah. I think my performance for a long time was much better than my writing um, mm -hmm. and that my performance carried my writing in a way that translating to the page, it was like, you know, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to go. Um, and so I really had to read a lot. Um, I really had to um, really study, you know, writers and, and writers that I like. And so I don't know. I mean, you 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 be the judge. I, I really yeah. don't know if I accomplished um, my goal of oh my being God. as potent on the page or not. But I'm getting I really better. Think you I did. know that much. I Thank really you, think you did. And I like just as a writer myself too. I mm -hmm. loved like just seeing how you use different devices, like blacking out the name. Yes. Or like different indents. Or, or there's one I just had where it was like the word fell literally falls yeah down yeah. the page yeah, yeah and I don't yeah. know if you would like write like that when you're just going to perform something or whether mm -hmm. uh you use that to help translate the performance aspect of it but that I that really all of that really resonated for me um, I, I especially even that. like the beginning where you have this affirmation slip the mm -hmm. um permission slip to go on this journey I was like, wow, okay, I'm present. Like I'm here. Yeah. Like that yeah. really set the tone for me when I first read it. I remember opening it up even a year ago and being like, okay, okay, yeah. I'm buckled up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. That I mean, that was absolutely the intention. And and I appreciate the way that you have engaged with the work and also for sharing that with me. I feel like uh, I can't speak to like all other poets, but at least me and like maybe a few other ones I spoke to, like people will normally just say, I loved your book. Or, you know, maybe mm -hmm. I love the specific poem or, you know, maybe they may get a little more specific, but like actually hearing what it is, like the effect that the work has on on you specifically is is very helpful. So first, just thank you for that. Um, I mean, well, also, it's really yeah. like, of course, you you write um, beautiful and saddening and also mm -hmm. uplifting and like all of the emotions into the poem, but I understand just as someone who presents work, like it can be overwhelming to think about how do I present this package? Like, how do I yeah. want this to be presented yeah. Yeah. as a whole? You know, yeah. these all amount to, to this, mm -hmm. um, and yeah. figuring out a way to do that. Um, it's a huge job. Absolutely. It's absolutely huge. And it's experimental. Like, again, like having a book out is something that I didn't think I was capable of in like 2017, um, which was when I graduated. And so just thinking back to that time and really stressing out, trying to figure out what to do um, and seeing that product, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of it. And you're right. Like I really had to pay attention to like the minutia of um, the reading experience and like, you know, things like a title, the way it's titled, mm -hmm frames um frames a piece or yeah like the difference between writing fell and then mm -hmm. writing fall as it as the letters are falling on the page and what mm -hmm. that does in the imagination of the reader of someone who again has never heard my voice they don't know what I sound like they don't right. know what color my skin is they're just like here's this book that I found um so yeah um I could not do that alone that was definitely like the other poets involved um, who read the work um, and who had written, who have their own books, their own manuscripts, but also have edited other people's work. 
you know, there was a lot of like them being honest with me and be like, look, bro, like, you know, I love the writing, you know, the writing's great, mm-hmm. but you know, you should, or maybe you should consider like playing with the form, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what we're really talking about is, is form. And I've had like a ten, a very tense relationship with form um, when it comes to my writing. Cause I usually write in free verse. Um, so in that, in that book, I was trying to like really experiment with form. And, and in my next one, like, I'm going to take that even further and really get weird. Like I want to get so like, abstract. Like what's the tension? <laughs> the, ten- the tension is from academia, I think. Okay. Um, there is right. the way, there is a way in which um, academia in America interacts with poetry mm-hmm. uh, that puts a lot of emphasis on not just form, but a specific kind of form, those sort of like mm-hmm. canonized forms that are usually created by, you know, dead white men. Right. Um, but uh, or or have been co-opted by mm-hmm. like white people, even if like because a lot of forms are rooted in like, you know, Asian cultures or like all types of cultures outside of this country. Um, but, you know, once it gets here, it's like, you know, like the haiku. It's like right. how many people really know where that comes from and what it was before it became like, you know, this sort of micro this way to like consume poetry in like micro ways. So, yeah, there's a lot of like hierarchy in academia there's a lot of like especially coming from slam poetry and performance poetry like academia doesn't like slam poets in fact at Penn State you know because I was Mm -hmm. a president of the writing organization there which is a it's called Penn State Words it's still running which is awesome amazing Um, and and Penn State actually currently holds the uh, national championship for collegiate poetry slam. really yeah, they currently wow. do um because the last one was i think in 2018 and that's when they won so hey. um <laughs> you know awesome. we, we we take those and shout out to the team uh, who won that um they're phenomenal so academia while, while i was at penn state you know we would throw these poetry slams and um 400 people would come and then <laughs> the english department or like the liter the um literature department would bring in like the poet laureate of the US and like 20 people would come or like 30 people would come. Right. And right. so there was a lot of jealousy, I think. Um, and honestly, like, I think a lot of racism for real being like, oh, it's your, your poetry isn't, it, it isn't correct. It isn't. Yeah. It isn't proper because right. um, it's not said in this way or, you know, your performance is really good mm-hmm. and it's all your performance. And, you know, it just gets really weird in academia. So that's, that's where the tenseness comes comes from um it's from me trying to stay organic and true to my heritage and like and my culture um and how just like you know like black people we are very much about um you know call and response and like, i grew up in church you know what i mean so performance is is again it's a part of the of the work for me mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm really like just trying to get out of the poems way. And sometimes mm-hmm. if I can like identify, okay, this particular form would really aid this poem in this way or or this particular form might help the poem reach its full potential. That's really my job. It, writing can be so isolating. So it's so mm-hmm. interesting that doing that as a group and what, yeah. um, what that brings to the work. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you uh, felt that like tenfold. Absolutely. I mean, I... Art is all about collaboration for me, at least in my approach for uh, to it. 
um i i tend i'm very introverted so like you know i don't really, are you really like, absolutely absolutely 100 and i think people don't know that about me because yeah i have i'm a good performer right i have very i've learned i've learned behaviors in terms of like socialization but like mm. fiona i was homeschooled like for like five really, really? years yeah like during like, like high school yeah like, really like, like elementary school mm. um you know and i had been to like like i think like private schools and stuff mm. uh, and so i've spent a lot of time alone alone i've had to create my own fun um and you know i would like spend time with like the neighborhood kids and you know we played basketball or, or king ball or like you know i may i tried to like double dutch with my sister you know and stuff like that but for the most part i spent a lot of my a lot of my childhood with That's myself so on, on the computer and so yeah when people say like oh like so when where did yeah. you find performance like how, how did you fiona like i grew up in church like mm that's all performance and and okay so when I say I grew up in church right I, I need I need to learn how to be more specific because a lot of people <laughs> a lot of people grew up in church and everyone can just say that and everyone's like oh yeah we're all having the same yeah, experience. right no my church was my family's business imagine okay. like the Sopranos but like with church and I and I'm not even exaggerating that okay. is the level of like the combination of like capitalism with like this with church and like this like spiritual communal experience mm -hmm. um and so I'm a third we say like third generation like my grandfather founded this church it was called Constellation Baptist Church on 25th and Wharton it was in South Philly which is like a second home to me because so much mm -hmm. of my family and friends from childhood still lived there um and then my dad took it over um and then like I was supposed to take it over um, by the time I was like 16 or something like that, uh, because that's what my dad did. Uh -huh. Clearly that didn't work out. Right. Um, but, <laughs> but you thought you were going to, I thought I was that going was to the plan. And I didn't just thought I was going to, I thought I wanted to mm. until, until I was about 13 and it started being this looming thing over me. And I realized like, I don't want to do this. Like I want to do this to please my father, but I don't want to be miserable um, like him because my dad is miserable and because he himself like sacrificed his and I wrote this in the book he sacrificed his own dreams and desires to take over the church and be this son that he thought his dad wanted him to be and so um, it's not like I actively made the choice not to be a preacher the the church like my dad kind of did some like real foul shit and we had to like leave really um, we moved, yeah we moved to Texas for a year when I was 12 oh shit yeah wow. we moved to texas during like it was 2008 it was the year obama was elected it was the year hurricane ike hit texas mm -hmm. it was the year it snowed in texas for like the first time in like 20 years so i think we oh. brought some like real chaotic <laughs> like energy um but yeah i bring all, all that up to say that church to me in my opinion is a show the way that I prepare for a, a poetry set is the same way I remember my dad preparing his sermons on Sunday. Mm. Um, you know, if you've been to church, especially a Baptist church like I grew up in, you're very aware of the theatrics involved. 
and everyone already knows that the best part of church is the music, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's no, that's un, that's an undebatable. So yeah. yeah, it's it's very performative in both its structure, but also in what it demands of its participants. Um, one thing I really resented about church was that all the like the I wasn't allowed to wear hats. You know, I would want to wear like my fitteds or I think fitteds mm -hmm. were in style back then. Like I wanted to wear fitteds and you know, like the old, you know, the church elders would take it off, even though they're wearing these big ass, like yeah. <laughs> flying saucer ass hats, right? It's like I'm my fitted is betraying that culture. So their church hat is fine, but for some reason my cap is interfering with me and God mm. somehow. So that's just what I mean in terms of it's being performative, but it's also enforced, you know, like it is right. something that is policed. Um, and so I feel like I've been in show business my whole life. Like what I'm doing now is is just yeah, like the the Bible isn't my reference point. Um, and it's just self-expression. Um, but I take it that seriously. You know, I think yeah. about the things I say on these stages as if, you know, it did come from God, because in my opinion, like I don't I'm I'm trying to write from a place that is like spiritual and is connected to like the part of me that is in everyone else, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, you know, we are we all I saw I'm like am I am I rambling no no I'm like <laughs> I'm wondering tell me if you resonate with this at all because I okay. was thinking earlier about like I genuinely don't think that I well okay I do care about what people think of me mm. and not necessarily from a place of insecurity anymore mm. but just I've um come to be more aware of the power that my words and actions hold and the way yeah. that I treat other people and present yeah. myself has an effect on others. So I do get nervous about like, how is this being perceived and portrayed? Absolutely. Um, and I already forget why that came up for me right now because I know no, I mean because we were talking about uh performance and porn yeah. performativity and I mean you literally run a podcast and that's I like know talking about a platform for words and the power of words people listen to you probably while they're driving while they're like going about yeah. their life and you know there is a there's a level of responsibility with that yeah I mean, I'm, I'm acutely know. aware of that just like yeah. I don't I can really tell. know I can tell you're very you're very <laughs> like and I feel you because like I'm the same way but like you know you got to be careful what you say and you it's just hard because like I want to be both transparent and like as grounded and real as possible yeah. but also just like cognizant of of how i impact yeah. others you Absolutely. know how my choices Absolutely. impact others so like it's kind of weird i i um i'm all, i'm kind of surprised by this like notion that some people aren't um concerned with how the world sees them and i'm a little envious Bullshit. you know <laughs> Bullshit. i don't believe them i don't believe don't? people who say that i don't believe you at all and, and and if you don't care at all what people say that's even a little like that's a red flag for me actually yeah. because i feel like it's very you know you don't have to like let other people's opinions dictate what you do or say or anything like that but you're telling me that that animalistic impulse in human beings for community like that is hardwired into our brains. You just don't feel that. Like you, you, you're evolved beyond the need to engage with people. And in order to deal with people, you have to do exactly what we're saying. And, and what we're describing isn't being fake. It's not being dishonest, yes. but it's being mindful. 
So do you feel though, that like your performance self and your introverted self, like, do they feel like different people? Mm. That's a good ass question. Do they feel like different people? No. Um, I recognize that they are, Mm -hmm. uh, and that there's things that I do when I'm performing that are not true to who I really am because you know when I'm performing I understand that it's about being interesting that's the whole point of performing it's to like so people don't fucking you know what I'm saying like (laughs) you know you want to you want people to stay awake and to be listening to what you're saying and so yeah there is a bit of like dishonesty is that is a word and and being disingenuous isn't even the word those are like very negative sounding words I think the word I'm looking for is like being entertaining like I want to be entertaining Um, And I recognize that's not true for every poet or every artist. Um, But yeah, I like making people laugh. I like keeping people's attention. And in order to do that, I have to be at least an exaggerated version of myself because honestly, like we're all really boring. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) I don't care how interesting you think you are. You're not that, you're not that interesting, my my, Mm -hmm. my, my dude. Um, But to answer your question, I think that my performance self is just like my regular self, but like times like uh, amplified. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that way it's like okay. I'm still my foundation is still me. So that's how I sleep at night. You know, I'm not yeah, I'm not laying in my bed like, oh, I'm a fraud. I'm my career is based on right. a lot. It's like, no, like I, I stand on myself. And therefore, if anyone were to critique me in my show or in my performance, um, they would still be critiquing me. So I'd still mm. listen. I still like receive what they have to say in their input in their input but uh that's intimidating because you know one of the things I found liberating about performance is that I didn't have to be myself you know Mm -hmm. like I got to be someone else in character um and so if someone critiqued it like sure it's it's me on the stage but it's not my personality no literally and and I can do that with acting like acting allows me to do that and also allows you to do that yeah. uh, but when you're building, but that's intimidating when it's yourself it's, and it's your work and it's your thoughts absolutely. and your feelings and your experiences absolutely. just on the absolutely. stage like you're so right that's not, and not everyone's built for it to be honest it is like it takes a level of of toughness i think vulnerable but that's that's vulnerability in, in a nutshell right in terms of vulnerability yeah your work often observes this struggle And please correct me if I'm wrong or misrepresenting this, but um, reading it to me felt like there was like a comment on a struggle to fit in and a struggle to be vulnerable. And yet sharing these stories and these experiences is like a courageous act in itself. And Mm -hmm. I just wonder if that feels like vulnerability to you or if you think of vulnerability differently. Um, I I 100% agree that it is a courageous act because I'm a nervous wreck. Like I just told you that I'm introverted and I'm shy, you know, and, and, and I'm anxious, um, anxiety like runs in my family. So I do have to overcome a lot to just get on the stage. Um, and I'll tell you this because we can edit this shit out if we wanted to Mm -hmm. literally before every performance, I have to poop. Like I literally (laughs) take a shit because, the nerve, you know, I get those butterflies. Yeah, of course. Same thing with like when I'm about to ride a roller coaster, actually, I have to take a shit as well because to me, my in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is like a regular thing. But in my body, it's like, we are going to die. Like we are, 
I'm in my <laughs> fight or flight mode when I'm about to perform. So um, it's and it takes so it takes courage to step on the stage and just say anything, let alone tell your own story mm-hmm. um, to a group of strangers. Usually, I don't think that is always a vulnerable experience for me. Um, this is something I've been really wrestling with lately, actually, because. And I, I'll ask you this earnestly, like, do you, is it vulnerability if you're still in control? That's a good question because it being a book that like, you know, I know that you're editing and presenting like aware of the packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see why that would feel a little more polished than most vulnerable moments appear to be. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think there's still um something to be said about the content being vulnerable and like you are mm-hmm. opening yourself to people you don't even know you know people that are that have this now and are reading it and i don't i i think yes i Word. think yes uh, yeah i mean there's I no, see, there's no right there's no right why, or wrong answer yeah yeah i just i've been asking that question to a lot of my friends just cuz i'm 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 genuinely trying to find out my own answer um, because yes while like a, most people who read my book are going to call it vulnerable because yeah I'm writing about shit that most people would never share you mm-hmm. know publicly let alone publish it in like a text that'll outlive you you know right. so, so yeah like I get that and at the same time it's like to me vulnerability is about is about control and and I can say that, like, I used to get anxious um, mm-hmm. because there's a poem in the book. There's a series of poems in the book about uh, my younger sister who passed away um, when I was three on my third birthday. And when I first started writing about her, I used to I used to get very nervous about telling people that story because for some reason it, it probably was like there might have there might've been some ego issues or some like masculinity mm-hmm. issues or something, but it was like, I don't want people to know this because then they'll use it against me and they'll have power mm-hmm. over me or something like that. Yeah. And um, I had to learn in that moment that like, n- no one can have power over you if what you're saying is true. You know, like if, 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 if you're, if you're being honest and you're being truthful about your experience, then, what can someone really do to me based off that story? Like, you know, maybe they could bully me because they know more about me and therefore they, they know maybe more sensitive points, but like, who's really doing that? Like their trolls exist most definitely, especially Mm -hmm. online. But like, when I tell you, no one has used my dead sister to hurt my feelings, you know, like, so, so I say that to say that being vulnerable is an act and it it is an ongoing act in my opinion it's something that like happens internally it's not about what you say or what you're talking about because again in church you know how many times i watch my father while he's preaching fake cry you know really yeah of course because you got to get the you know you're trying to get the you're trying to get the tithe and offerings <laughs> um, you're trying to pay your bills that oh, month God. and so you're going to let tears flow and so he did and when I tell you, I've I've never seen that man 
cry at home, mm. you know, just us, you know, no, no, no crowd, no audience, just us. Nope. And so that's what I mean by vulnerability. You cry? Like, do I cry? Yeah. Oh, all the fucking time. Are you kidding <laughs> me? Oh, bro, I was, I was crying just Soft before. Boy cries. No, 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 no. Uh, no, yeah. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a cancer. So. Oh, okay. I, mean, I cry very easily. In fact, earlier it looked like you were almost about to cry and I almost cried. <laughs> oh, no. I, no. Like, I do that uh, too, especially in yeah. movies. If like, oh my I God. cry at everything in movies. Oh my God. Everything. And I look like such a, I know simp is the wrong word. I just look like such a, such a loser. Crying no. At like Toy Story 3, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> no. You know. But that scene was really sad with them in the fucking in, in, in the furnace or the uh, incinerator and they're all holding hands, bro. Like there's there's a lot, there's a lot to cry over once you put yourself in someone else's shoes. Like, literally. It's hard like, not to. Yeah. So like empathy, um empathy yeah. thing. Um, yeah. but being vulnerable, I think happens internally. And I don't think mm. I don't think people get to decide who is being vulnerable and who's not being vulnerable. It's more like you decide whether in that moment you're giving up your power, like you're mm. allowing others to, to affect you in a negative way, like potentially, mm. you know, like, I think that's vulnerability. I, I've once, I've heard it described as, and I don't necessarily agree with this. So okay. take it with a grain of salt, but I've heard it described as like giving someone else a gun to point at you and then asking them like not to pull the trigger essentially. Hmm. And if we use that as a framework for vulnerability, even though it's like kind of violent and I don't like that metaphor, but how many times have you actually given someone that level of, you know, access to you? Right. And uh, if you really think about it like that, that's when the window of like what is considered vulnerable, I think starts to shrink a bit. So that's my that's long interesting. Yeah. fucking explanation to answer i love to it yeah no i love it I, I i haven't thought about it that way so um i'll have a lot to ponder after this clearly that's of how often question. i've been vulnerable for real <laughs> yeah that's yeah, a great question um you wrote and i'm pulling this from um your instagram a caption okay. you uh, wrote soft boy takes an intimate look at the absurdities of toxic masculinity and attempts to illustrate the need to abandon patriarchy and misogyny as urgent essential to black liberation and ultimately in everybody's best interest yeah. humorous and introspective soft boy is the echoing cry of a black man desperately searching for authenticity in a world that champions performance um and to hone in on the comment of patriarchy and misog misogyny um you write a lot about the binary expectations for manhood and womanhood and what it means to fit into those gender roles, yeah. especially within the black community. Um, and I'm just wondering how your understanding of, of those constructs has changed as you've grown and healed from those expectations. Like, do you, and do you still think, I guess I'm asking a lot right now, but do you also still think of that expansion and evolution of thinking as a means for liberation 100 um i i have grown from 
that book. Uh, in fact, I, I feel as though I'm a completely different person. Than I know you told me that you, that the person who wrote this is like yeah. essentially gone. And I, I'm yeah. so curious. Yeah. 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 Um, that nigga's dead, but, <laughs> but I'm, I'm still that person. And, um, there are aspects of that person because that person was still me. I think I was just performing a lot, you know, mm. and, performance is great when you know when in its context right like performing on stage is great but you shouldn't be there we go yeah, yeah. literally like um, every, every man, man I know is a performer more display than practice or yeah. practicing some display learned from other men yeah 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 uh, and I still believe absolutely that um until every person in the world is free and I and I mean that the most marginalized person in the world and as long as they're still in chains and still oppressed then we we all can't be free um because i genuinely believe that um oppression is like a like a giant ugly ass quilt right and and every every strand or of that quilt is you know another avenue of oppression you know uh, and so there are intersections and and that's where like the whole concept of like intersectionality comes in um which was coined by a black woman who whose name escapes me right now i'm gonna blame it on the moscato um, <laughs> but yeah and a lot of people use that wrong i'm i think mm -hmm. this discourse is turning out that like people are just using it to mean like when two intersecting like marginalized identities meet but that's like not how it's supposed to be used apparently um don't know anything about that but i absolutely believe that you can't say that you're for black liberation or you know you're for even like you know you're communist and you're about the working class and like all that you can't do that and then exclude like trans folk do you right. know what i mean like you can't do that and exclude like queer folk or you know asexual folk like there's many blackness is such a spectrum of experiences and i think because of the way white supremacy function it like tries to pigeonhole black people into certain things mm -hmm. and so there are like there are black people who um, are extremely homophobic and transphobic. I mean, just in my family alone. And, uh, but those same people in the same breath will say that they're about black freedom and that they want like reparations. And it's like, y'all are cops, bro. Like y'all are the same, like y'all are, y'all are mimicking the same oppressive behavior for a, a myriad of reasons, right? Like, um, again, like I'm not, I don't vilify anyone anymore. Like I'm, mm -hmm. that was part of the me that died. Like I, mm -hmm. I refuse to not hold people's fullness in their react in their humanity, especially POC and black people, right? Like we need, we need that. So I'm not trying to like vilify anyone. I'm just trying to say that, like, there are some people in this world that internalize their oppressors voice and behaviors and mannerisms mm -hmm. and that ultimately 
there are people who care more about clinging to their clinging to power, you know, and wanting to have power over certain individuals or not, that they'll completely abandon any sort of like any sort of any sort of rationale that tells them that the way that they're behaving is also problematic and also mm-hmm. damaging and also oppressive and also toxic. Like, I, you know, it's, it's really messed up because so it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. It, it, it makes them ask questions about yeah. themselves that they may not want to answer. It, rat, it like shakes up their worldview. And like, you know, mm-hmm. when human beings get afraid, that's when they do their most terrible things. And so like, I think a lot of people, Anyway, <laughs> yes, I absolutely still believe that. Um, and so that is intrinsic to my artistic process. Um, mm-hmm. Just this idea that like cis hetero patriarchy, um, like a cat and capitalism, like all that shit. Uh, I don't care. I don't care what it's done for you. I don't care what your position is in it. As long as you have investments in that system, someone is getting fucked. And it may not be you, and you may be more comfortable with that certain group getting fucked. But I'm telling you, the more you feed into that, the more that group is going to fuck you. And so it's like really divesting from all those systems is what Softball is trying to get to. And I don't, I didn't do it in a great way, if I'm being honest. Like, you don't I, think so? No, I don't. I, and, and, you know, feel free to disagree because ultimately, like, the book is belongs to the people now. Like, I, I just put it out there. So I don't have like the, the end all be all of what it means. What, what makes you think that in your mind, it doesn't though. I think soft boy as well written as it is. And as proud of it as I am. I mean, you can see my little, like, yeah, my mom, my mom got me this statue. That is so Um, cute. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love her. She's very supportive. Um, as proud of it as I am, right? The book feels, I think I just wanted to like shake things up, mm. right? Like I wanted to like press the buttons, you know, I wanted to light the fire. Um, but it was my cousin actually who told me recently, like his issue with like people like that who just like to start fires is that like, they're usually not equipped with the dealing with them. You know, they like to start yeah, fires yeah. and then just like watch it burn. Um, or maybe they just start fire and then like leave. But like, it takes a different level of maturity um, or at the very least like responsibility to be like, hey, if I start a fire, it's because I know a better way. And it's because like, I have tools to deal with the with the fallout of that fire and to deal with the after effects of that fire. And that's not to say there isn't space for people to just start fires. Like that's completely okay. And like, you know, sometimes we need people who are just gonna light the match and 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 you know and do that. But everyone can't be that. Everyone can't be a fire starter. Some people have to know how to build. But that's like, that's just a lot to ask, I think, uh, for someone to have the solution right away. You Mm. know, like, if you're aware that this is a fire, and you don't have the, the, the wood to build something right afterwards, but you're still working on finding that wood. And like, that's 
part of your process, it's not going to happen the month after you release the book, you know, it might happen like down the line. So I just feel like that's like a huge expectation to, um, and I, I understand what you mean about some people do just light fires and leave Mm -hmm. it burning. But I think Mm -hmm. just specifically in this instance, yeah, I would never read this as, and because I know you and your work, like someone who's starting a fire without, um, yeah, any intention of following through. So, so what I just said only applies to certain things I've talked okay. about, okay, not the okay, book okay. as a whole, because when okay. it comes to like the masculinity stuff, I do think there are like solid, at least in terms of where I'm at with my processing of it within the book, like, mm-hmm. you know, I feel comfortable in that there are tools to help people actually deal with their, yes, you know, issues. I agree. Yeah. Um, and so that, that part's solid. But it's like some of the other stuff where I'm like, I just did that to like piss people off. And <laughs> and honestly, like, I'm going to be honest, like, I don't feel as though I have really, 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 really fully allowed myself to understand the power of words. And I know we were just talking about that earlier. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, I'm a writer. I've been writing. I've been performing poetry for it'll be 11 years um, this year. And like, when I tell you that I'm still learning about the impact of language and just the way that I want to read you something, please do continue, continue. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, but I it's, grab- it's that whole thing of like, once you say something, you can't take it back, um, you know? And so you just for myself, let me stop saying you, like I am learning now in this, in this season of my life that, uh, if you say it, you need to be able to stand on it. You know, you need to be able to like die on that hill. Otherwise, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know, really like, otherwise you're just talking. And I'm tired yeah. of just talking now. Like now I'm like, I want to talk about some real shit, some shit that I'm really going through and, and stuff that like I'm really dealing with and that like I have the tools to deal with and that I want to share the tools that I'm finding to deal with. Cause yeah, I think you're right. And when you say like, you can't find the answers alone. And I've never, my poetry has never been about finding answers. It's all been about asking questions right. and then finding the answers with the, with my listeners, with people who are following me. Like I want to, I want to go on this journey with y'all to find the answers to these questions that are in my mind. So yeah, yeah, it's a lot. A friend of mine, and I thought she had written it down, but I think she just said it verbally. Mm. Um, we were playing that game. We're not really strangers and we were at the beach. And I forget what the question was, but that she, game? I've never heard of that game. It's before. just a card game. And it's like, has just, um, questions. Some like the first round, I think you ask other people, the questions. Okay. And then the second round you ask yourself the question and have to answer it verbally. Um, and then there's like a reflection round kind of thing. It's just to like inspire more like deeper conversation, but she told me, um, you know, that she didn't think I understood the my particular impact on others and just how like mm-hmm. my the way I exist and interact with people like for for good reasons and probably some for bad reasons but just mm-hmm. overall my impact and I like kind of had to sit there and be like oh yeah I mean I guess like as a kid I I was very quiet and very shy and I you know I've been in situations where I think that I can 
kind of get away with being a little invisible and just mm. realizing that I'm never going to be invisible. And like, yeah. you know, I, I, wherever I go, I'm going to have an impact on someone. Absolutely. And that's true for all of us. Absolutely. Um, and, and really understanding that because it does, mm -hmm. it makes difference. 100%. I mean, and I think in terms of the invisibility thing, I mean, like that in America, that is, you know, that is a white privilege. Um, and not to like white privilege, yeah. but, uh, no but like, you know, it's just like the ability to fade in the background. Mm -hmm. um, and then you, you compound that with like, like patriarchy, right, which is already ready to silence you and already doesn't want to hear from you in the first place. It's like, there are real things that are incentivizing you to be quiet, right, and to shrink, mm -hmm. um, and that it takes like a level of maturity and self-awareness to be like, I'm a human being, you know, like I'm, I'm a person, I'm like yeah. a real living, breathing person with thoughts and opinions and and flaws and strengths and things I want to do better at things I'm great at already like you have that we all have that um but these like there's something about there's something about the country we live in that like tries to treat people like homogenize people and they try to like make you feel like like you're not the shit you know but, yeah but you are. And I'm glad that um you were able to receive that from your friend, because when I tell you, like, not everyone can hear stuff like that about themselves and still yeah. be like <laughs> connected. Well, with I mean, person. it was like, you know, she's just such. Um... OK, this actually makes me want to ask you something else, because she's the okay. kind of person that will call it like it is, you know, yeah. and I I know that about her and I know that it's never ill intended. You know, she's just mm. like mm. observant and will find the means to express her observations yeah. in a way that I can receive it because mm -hmm. I know that about her, you know? Yeah. Um, and I know that part of your job as a poet is to observe the world. And like you've said in the past, like hold a mirror up to it. Yeah. Um, and I just wonder like if that's gotten you in trouble ever. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even in the book, like my family was pissed. Were they? Um, yeah. I was going to um, ask, cause I know that you're, I think I know that you're close with your mom and just, you mentioned her a lot in it and her influence. My mom is really chill about it. Like That's I read her, I read her the stuff that I thought she would be most upset about. Um, if, if anything, um, but my mom's been with me through this whole journey. Like, you know, my mom came the first time I performed at Thon at Penn state, actually really so drove up. Yeah. That was my first time. Like my family <sighs> came to like, that's so cool. Me, um, perform. Um, and my dad was still in my life at the time and he was there and actually performed the angel poem for the first time, uh, like the baby version of it. It was like mm -hmm. much worse <laughs> back then. But uh, yeah, like my mom was chilling and my mom's side of the family honestly was chilling too because they're religious, but like they're like realistically religious, you know, okay. like, still like drink and smoke and like, you know, live their lives. Like they still have a like bit, spiritual, like, but. Yeah, but like still rooted in the earth and they're like yeah. still human beings. Um, but my dad's side of the family, they like to act like they're above like reproach. Um, it's like a holier than thou kind of. It's a holier than thou thing. And it's also like hmm, the way I've heard it described is like so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And I think that's a, that's a good way of framing because it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, like, oh. you know, you're so 
caught up in what the Bible says you need to be and like getting into heaven and like saving, you know, converting people or whatever the hell. But like, there's real things happening on earth. Like people are really dying and don't have access to things and starving and homeless. But generally, like, you know, they're not too worried about that. Generally speaking, I know there are like some good Christians out there who are doing like good work for their communities, but it ain't most of them, not in America. So um, yeah, they were pissed. Um, Did that used to get in the way of you um, writing honestly, like you're concerned? For sure. Absolutely. Um, Because to this day, literally to this day, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, but my Facebook is full of church people, like people who only know me as basically, you know, the grandson of Bishop Alden Gaines, you know, South Philadelphia. And there was a big portion, especially in the beginning of my career, where I wouldn't post at all because, you know, my stuff has cursing in it. And um, in fact, I remember I had this poem that I called John 316, which they hated uh at least my my god mom hated mm-hmm. the title of it and, <laughs> yeah 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 and it was just like my most vulgar poem and it was like supposed to mm. just challenge that that voice in my brain that is really their voices combined saying like i need to perform this good church boy that you know they probably want me to be um and even at my book release, like it was the same thing where there were people there who were from the church and I let them know at the beginning, like, hey, if you're offended by profanity, like this is not the space for you to be. And I appreciate right. your support and I love you. I'll always love you. But like, just know I can't allow myself to. I can't fake the funk anymore. You know, I got to yeah. I got to be fully me, um, but I could not do that in the beginning. So it was definitely was an obstacle for me. That's hard because you're you're asking other people to set boundaries that they might not mm, set mm. for themselves yeah um yeah and like taking that on yourself instead mm-hmm. it's it, it's tough especially yeah. in, in an environment that incentivizes silence and, right. and just being quiet like a lot of my family just like Dave like why don't you just not say anything you know like you can you can believe what you want to believe and think what you want to think but just keep it to yourself <sighs> you know? and I'm like no that would really like fuck with my like self-doubt a little bit too oh yeah I mean that's honestly it probably contributes to my anxiety and yeah the other mental illnesses I have going on but like will they claim that no they'll just be like oh you're a great performer because you came from church or you're a great rider because your daddy was a rider and they want to take all the good parts but they don't Mm. want to acknowledge like the harm and like the, the issue so I've kind of taken it upon myself not for any other reason than for the fact that it seems to be happening organically already to really start those conversations. And, and again, like I don't have the answers um, and I'm, and I'm not pretending any longer, like I have the answers. Uh, I'm just one person, but I will at least start that conversation or I will at least spark that, um, you know, spark that person's mind who maybe yeah. one day will, will find the answer, you know, like I do want to be a part of that experience. So um, I think it's like Tupac said, he said, I might not change the world, but I, I guarantee I'm a, I'm a spark the mind of the person who will, you know, and yeah. I feel the same way. Yeah. So you've talked about how you've evolved since and grown and healed yeah. since this past year of writing this book. And I know that you took quite a bit of time away from social media. Yeah. What, um, what was that like? What was that choice? Like, 
what was the actual experience itself like? Just I'm fascinated. I took a break from social media from about um, February, March or so of 2021 to about February or March or so of 2022. Um, why I did that was because one, I, I don't enjoy social media at all. Um, I understand its function and I understand, I admire people who are good at it. I really do. And like more power to y'all, y'all are so mm -hmm. cool. But again, like I'm shy though. And I have performance issues in terms of like my image. And so those things are just, I, I view social media as like one giant ass ongoing 24 seven party, right? Where there's always something going on and there's always something to, to focus on. Mm -hmm. um, and you can come and go and exit the party as you please, you know, but when you do exit the party, everyone else is going to be talking about the party and it's like, you're missing out on the party. Right. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I, for majority of my life and I'm, and I'm different now, but like for majority of my life, I hated parties because I have social anxiety. Right. And so it's like being in this public space where I'm hyper cognizant of my appearance, how I'm presenting, um, and I'm cognizant of how, how I'm presenting doesn't reflect the person I feel like on the inside, it's just, it's unsustainable. It's an unsustainable way of using those platforms. And so that came to a, that came to a head um, last year. Um, and it just happened to like coincide with like a terrible breakup that I was going through. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. And I don't care about the impact it has on my brand. I don't care how it affects my followers. Um, if they really fuck with me and they really love me and want to and, and want to follow me they will you know uh, and they'll understand they'll understand it i i think if i'm honest about my experience so yeah it was nerve-wracking um but i'll if <laughs> i'll be damned if it wasn't like the best <laughs> in terms of like forming this new relationship and like you know i was saying like the old me is dead and like the person who wrote softboy is dead and that like i'm now this new being like that couldn't have happened while i was on social media like mm. i had to unplug and really like figure out who scary. i really am it's very scary that's scary uh, but yeah power to you it's funny because your time offline you know i probably reached out like a year uh i think it was march of 2021 mm. um whenever like right around the time that you published this and you know hearing from you then again maybe like nine months later I don't know how much time passed specifically um and you asking like if that would still be of interest to me to have this conversation I was like in my head I was like duh absolutely you know <laughs> like nothing about your um like work or impact or influence like changed when you went offline. Like, it's not like, Oh no, I haven't, I don't, I don't think Dave's done anything relevant recently. I don't want to talk to him. Like, no, like you're still, you still have so much to share and to say. And, um, it's cool that you were able to take that break and it not negatively impact yeah. your position as an artist and like in your work. From an outsider I, perspective. 
I appreciate you saying that. Um, because I mean, but it is a big fear. Like, you know, you yeah. take yourself out of the equation and then you feel like you're taking yourself out of um, consideration, out of the race a little bit. Like, yeah, yeah. But that, but that's again, the, the, the myth of, of social media is that, um, especially they keep you coming back. Yeah, it's you exactly have to do this to stay relevant now. Cause it's like, now everyone's a brand. Everyone's like, you know, commodifying everything they can it's just weird. to, because, because you can't. And because again, in the capital, in the capitalistic society that we live in, it's like, why wouldn't you, if I could, if yeah. I could grow and make money off of being myself and my passions, why would I not choose that over working at five guys, which I have, by the way, and my fries were, were crazy as fuck. Um, but <laughs> I used yeah, to work like, at Sabaro tossing pizza. Sabaro, I hate yeah. Sabaro's pizza, yo. That's what so funny. Okay, well, I am, um, you know, it was one you of better those... be careful because you're from New York too. Things are, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I selected Sabaro aside from if my family was on a road trip and we stopped at a rest stop and needed okay. dinner, you know, right, like right, we would right, probably right. get pizza. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean this, so yeah. that's actually, I thought about this in terms of like, I know we say influencer like pretty lightly, but that is what is happening Yeah, and it's trippy. Yeah. It's trippy and it happens in literally every single industry. I mean, oh, I know. I mean, publishing, like, you know, a lot of publishing companies expect all of their authors to have a significant following yeah. before they want to sign you for a book because yeah. that makes their job easier <laughs> marketing yeah. wise. You know, they're, yeah. they're already buying a guaranteed audience. You're right. I actually just submitted something to, uh, to Button Poetry, which is like the biggest distributor or publisher um of poetry books that i know of mm-hmm. um and poetry video like online content mm-hmm. and i just submitted that like a short form contest that ended a mm-hmm. couple of days ago and a question on there even though it said this won't be shared with our judges or whatever it's like mm-hmm. how many instagram followers do you have yeah and they're like you know we want to gauge potential future collaboration with influencers and it's like that absolutely is going to impact your ability to get published. And, and, and it's wild because at, you know, how Instagram allows you to like hide how many people like your picture. Yeah. Now? As much as I hate that feature um, in this direction in which we're going now, mm-hmm. I get it because now it's like, Oh, you only have two people liking your picture what a shame like you have no clout it's like bro those are two fucking people who like your picture like that's if you had two niggas in a room staring at your picture being like "Hmm, i fuck with this you'd be over the moon you'd be you'd be excited because totally because you see them and you and you see them engaging but there's something about the um the dehumanization i think that happens when everyone's a brand and not a person uh and by the way like when i say brand i mean like everyone's spotless everyone is already put together you know unproblematic unproblematic and clean and and Mm -hmm. flawless and like that's not consistent and exactly and like that's not how real people are and that's also 
damaging to like all these kids who are now like trying to figure out their own thing and they're all they're looking online and all they see is this polished clean people and it's like that's not what I feel like in myself and so that just contributes more to like the low self-esteem and and that whole thing but there's so many takes about social media online like I don't even want to I know I can't really offer anything new I just know that yeah I understand why people hide their likes I understand why people buy likes I understand why people fake their engagement numbers Mm -hmm. um I used to do that when I, when I used to have a YouTube account back in the day, I never had yeah. like a blog, like a lot of people were on like Tumblr and stuff, but I was mm-hmm. on YouTube and I was making like AMVs on YouTube. You know what AMVs are? Oh, AMVs are uh, anime music videos. Get like out of here. Anime, like animated music videos. I can't believe I'm, I must be drunk. Cause I can't believe I'm telling <laughs> into all these. Are they still that, online? Can I find it? They're still online, but I will die before I so funny. share the name with people. But some of my my closest friends and family, I bet I could figure it out. I'm pretty good at snooping. I bet you you can. Okay. You want to know what? Challenge accepted. My mom was so hypervigilant and so afraid of the dangers of kids being mm-hmm. online. Because again, like <laughs> back in my day, I know we didn't have internet. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like I was around when that shit not just started taking off, but when it become when, when it became regular, like mm-hmm. when it became accessible and right. like everyone was on it. Um, and with that came this fear, I'm sure you remember of like, what is this new technology that's unpoliced and it's like the wild regulated. West. It's like the wild, it was like the wild west. And my mom was terrified of it. And so she would force me to use fake names. She would force me to use like, nothing that had anything to do with my identity and now I can't thank her enough for yeah it. I was gonna say you're probably so happy <laughs> bro when I tell you like I was just the most toxic little shit of a person so funny. online because you know when anonymity gives you that it gives you that freedom yeah. to be your worst self and so honestly even though I was my worst self there are still friends I made back then and because it was the internet like I was friends with people like from Japan and from like random places in the so world funny um I can still talk to them to this day because wow. it wasn't pretend it was like we are strangers we have nothing in common except that we like to make AMVs together and we would collaborate on them you talk about group pieces and stuff right like I was doing that in like a video form that's so YouTube. cool uh, and I had like I think my height subscriber count was like 800 bro like I was like I don't wow. have that much now. <laughs> so I'm yeah. doing worse. I'm doing worse at poetry than I am. No, no. What's no. on YouTube. But um, but That's uh so what funny. I, what I, a like a what a random like secret. <laughs> it's a secret and thoughtful intention folk don't share it. Um, don't <laughs> keep we'll keep it to ourselves. Yeah, keep yeah, it to yeah. Yourself. But you know what I what I realize is that a lot of poets, even the ones that are like cool now and like yeah. you know, influencers they were fucking nerds. They were on Tumblr, just blogging about random stuff. And Mm -hmm. I was never on Tumblr. YouTube was my Tumblr. But like so many poets came from these online blogging communities. And then they somehow built the confidence in their life to like perform some of their writing on stage. And then they found out, oh, people actually like them. And now they're cool, you know, because people like them. But don't forget where you came from. Like we we are all still those nerdy little like geeky ugly crusty little kids you know on the internet just trying to like be someone so what brought you back online 
I just missed my friends. If I'm being honest with you, like mm-hmm. there was that whole brand concern. Um, but honestly, I just really social media for me is just a way to keep in touch with people. Um, because to be honest, I hate texting. Um, the only thing I hate more than texting is spontaneous calls. Do not, <laughs> really? do not call me out of nowhere. I don't care who you are. That's only so funny. My, only my mom and like my siblings can call me out of nowhere. Everyone else needs to like give me at least, at least like 30 minute heads Is up. this an introverted thing? Do you think? Probably. Yeah. Because like, yeah. I love a spontaneous call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely. Oh, yeah. So, what are you? Like, why do you? I think I'm an extrovert. I mean, uh, so you've had like basically a year of recharging then with yeah, being yeah, by yeah. yourself. Yeah. In a way. Um, I mean, does that, is that how it feels? No. I mean, no? it didn't feel like recharging because, again, I was going through a breakup. So it was like, yeah. I felt like I was dying. I was grieving. Um, but after the grief, I was absolutely recharging. I was like, you know, not having to worry about posting on a specific schedule or content. Oh, I need content. Oh. It concerns me some like self-help, self-care, social media behavior mm-hmm. that's so mm-hmm. prominent right now um, and how vague it is, you know, and yeah. how um, there's not a ton of context on social media, which is, yeah. makes it challenging. Yeah. Social media literally is built to like not include context, you know, like social media is all about little micro doses of content, but yeah, ultimately like a tweet is 140 characters, you know, like you're not, you're, you can't tell me you're going to give all the context that any topic really demands with that much space. Right no one on social media it's just not the place for certain things like social media has a place it absolutely Mm -hmm. serves a function and there's things that we would not have today without social media people careers that would not exist without Mm -hmm. social media um and at the same time there are aspects of social media that i that i think are starting to bleed into the real world because people forget that social media is not it's not a real place or thing you know what I mean yeah I heard recently that like a lot of fights in schools right now are in large part fueled by Instagram behavior like it's all things that are happening offline that no kid even thinks that they're gonna have to um like there aren't as many real life consequences but now that they're back in school you know they're not virtual they're not at home and they have to face they're like i heard you was talking shit on, on tiktok yeah. Like, yeah. yeah yeah and you're absolutely. like uh-oh <laughs> absolutely and that i mean there's always been some version of that yeah do you remember form spring yeah wait was that was that was when like you get to ask questions right? yeah it's anonymous or like yeah, yeah you get to yeah, yeah. comment on people like the the people asking questions or commenting are anonymous and yeah form, form it, yeah. spring had a had a hold on our generation i know it was bad um, i never had one but like i remember it was me either i didn't bad. have the, i didn't have the courage i didn't want yeah, to be asked no. questions that i wasn't no, right no, no. yeah i think i might have asked a question or two though maybe to a crush or something you know right that i would never again not ask in person because i'm a coward right <laughs> we didn't have cable until i was like a little bit older as a child so I don't know I was it's funny too mm, 
maybe like eight or nine but we also like it confuses me how I remember songs that were popular back Mm. in the day because Mm. we only listen to Irish music in the car like that's I mean that's all I listened to growing up like wow so I don't know how I really nine years old you were just listening to straight Irish uh like yeah I I don't know like name an Irish bop right now an Irish bop like a bop yeah like what's like the go-to Irish you know um well I mean there's like Galway Girl is a classic but that's not necessarily traditional Irish music like like I'm talking like traditional because that's what my family plays like Gaelic like type just like like most of its tunes a lot it's not a ton of songs um a lot of its tunes I have I'm trying to teach myself the tin whistle the tin whistle oh shit can we get a can we get a sample of that it's it's gonna hurt your ears like I'm not there yet but we'll get there eventually I will get there we'll get there (laughs) there. um I'm like I'm like how do I know the lyrics to these songs because like I I definitely wasn't listening at home Mm-hmm. and I went to Catholic school like we weren't like walking around with our like I had a Walkman eventually but I don't know like the ex- my exposure was so much more limited than than it feels like it is now you know right, right. like no I, I must have seen that stuff I remember being so upset when Cheetah Girls came out and I didn't have cable and like everyone was talking about it and I was like how do I how do I see this movie I used I to, hate to be a part Cheetah of this conversation Girls so much so okay what what changed what changed between when you were eight and nine years old that opened you up to the world to like American culture I guess well my brother and I to this day still um we just the only thing we could agree on watching together was Spongebob when we did get cable so um even still (laughs) sometimes which is a little embarrassing but um not at all spongebob holds up that yeah that's what we watched a lot of the time um that so that's the first thing that comes to mind for me was there like a familial shift though because like why were you allowed to watch spongebob if you weren't like was it the cable was it getting it was just literally getting cable yeah like we used to just watch pbs and then my mom says like the first time that I saw a commercial, I thought like the TV was broken, you know, because PBS <laughs> didn't do commercials. It's confusing. That's <laughs> so, so funny. yeah. That's um, so but cute. it's kind of one of those things where you just, when you don't know what you don't know, it doesn't sure. feel like for sure that big of a deal. Um, and then well, yeah, the world just kind of like expands a bit. Oh, but yeah. you know, we still had pretty. Um, I wouldn't call it strict because it doesn't it doesn't feel like it impacted me that much, but we had like caps on how much like TV we were allowed to watch or when we were allowed to watch it. Like there were rules around it. So. Right. Right. Shout out PBS because Mm -hmm. cyber chase was that shit. Liberty Cage was that shit, you know, between the lions, like Mm -hmm. all those certified classics. Um, But we also, we, me, you and I had very similar experiences because what, Irish music was for you was gospel for me. Mm. Um, I mean, to this day, there are gospel songs I hear that like take me right back to mm. moments. Um, and even though it's very embarrassing to say this, but we're already here. Yeah. Um, my parents were so strict about 
cursing that um we weren't like allowed to listen to rap we yeah. let we actually listened to a lot of radio disney and like kids bop i know it's so cringy <laughs> it's so cringy but like yeah they were like which which honestly like i don't agree <laughs> i resent my parents for this but uh -huh. it's like you know we were over listening to the fucking <laughs> Kids bot version of one two step by Sierra. And it's oh like, oh my God. Oh my God. That was like, so bad. I, I'm surprised I didn't kill myself because that has to be terrible. It is horrible. Oh, um, but, but, but they really my, butchered so many they, songs. It should be illegal. Like those, those kids should be in jail for those yeah. pops. Uh, I wonder where they are and if they like try to disassociate like from that part of life. There's no, yeah, there should be like a, some kind of show where it's like, yeah. <laughs> These what kids, kids Bob <laughs> did to my career. Do you yeah. still feel like, like, does anything gospel related or church related resonate with you still? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Like that's still a part of your life. I don't listen to it regularly, mm -hmm. um, but I absolutely love when it comes on or someone puts on a song at like a party and there's mm -hmm. other like church kids in the room and we all just collectively start singing these songs that like everyone else is like what the you hell? like make eye contact and you're like yeah when you know we start <laughs> we start shouting or something like yeah. it's there is something to that but but ultimately I, I i think gospel as a genre is probably one of the strongest most consistent genres because ultimately it's about struggle you know, it's mm -hmm. about like, if you really listen to gospel music, a lot of it is like, things will get better. You know, mm -hmm. just keep hoping, keep believing, keep living. You know what I mean? Um, no matter what you're going through. My favorite parts of gospel music is when they get really specific about the, the struggles. Mm -hmm. And then like, you know, <laughs> maybe even some of the homophobia comes out where they be like, God is going to help you get your brother out of jail or God's going to help you pay your bills this month. And God's going to help your daughter overcome her lesbian attractions. And it's like, oh, all right, those things are that. not, those things are not, one of those things doesn't belong. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, but again, th that's the culture I, I grew up in. And those mm -hmm. are the songs my mom would listen to. In fact, the first rap song I ever heard my mom listen to was Mace's welcome back CD. And that mm -hmm. was because Mace became a pastor. And then he, he re-entered the rap game, had this very clean image. Um, and Welcome Back is a banger to this day. Like it's, it's, it's certified. But like me, I would like sneak and listen to like Eminem in my closet, like literally listening to cleaning out my closet mm -hmm. in the closet and being like, you can say that? <laughs> like, you, like you're allowed to say these things on yeah. in public? Uh, and I think that was really formative for me because I remember seeing my dad had Kanye West's graduation album and I remember seeing that bear and associating negativity with it because you know there was cursing on it and it was explicit it had like the explicit label on it and I was like oh that's bad that's 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 devil that's the devil's music mm -hmm. um and in my first entrance into music like my first favorite genre of music was actually rock like all like alt rock like Linkin yeah. Park Rest oh, in peace. Sure. Like, like, you know, and that organically because because bands like Linkin Park, who were heavily influenced by hip hop, were so rooted in the culture and like, you know, would have like Jay Z on like the encore remix and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, that helped me 
get more in touch with my own culture because my parents, for whatever reason, were hell bent on like protecting me from what they assumed were threats, um, which in this instance included rap. So, mm. um, yeah, well, I very mean, weird. just like very at weird. large, this is why I um, like this idea that we don't even know what's out there or what's possible until someone sets that example, like until someone provides the education in this way, for example, or in your book, you know, gives you the vocabulary to understand what's possible. You know, that's, that's why I think this kind of work is so important. Like you are giving words and vocabulary and like setting an example of expression for others. Absolutely. Um, which is huge. And just like, even on a micro level, like that's how I think about and talk about my job now in a lot of ways, because I just like, didn't even know it was an option, you know, and you don't know that things mm-hmm. are an option. Mm-hmm. They don't, they're not going to organically cross your mind. You know, someone sure. has to like say it or do it or show you, yeah. you know? Um, Absolutely. I, I honestly think, and not to, again, bring it back to oppression. Yeah. But I think a function of, of, of oppression is to control a specific group of people's imagination for what is possible for their own lives. Um, and that applies to women. It applies mm-hmm. to like black people, especially black women, it applies to trans folk. It's like, let's, let's keep calling your truth impossible. Mm. You know, let's, let's convince you that you're trying to, by trying to do anything different, you're, are, you're pushing a boulder up a hill, you know, but like you made it a hill. That's what they don't tell you is like, they made it a hill and they, and they made it a boulder. It's funny that you bring that up because actually one of my last questions for you was if you, and this is like a little bit of projection because I've struggled with this in my experience, but, um, are you able to visualize the future that you want? Am I able to visualize the future that I want? Yeah. Now, now more than I could before, because one of my issues with the place I was in when I wrote soft boy was that like, I had no idea what was possible for myself and my, my, my standards for what love was and what I was willing to receive from others was very low. And like that book, again, I love, I love soft boy. I love it so much. And I don't want people to think that like, I don't like my own book or anything like that, but I just want to be real about Mm -hmm. what the reality of being an author is and putting something into the world and then growing from it Mm -hmm. and reflecting back on it. Um, Soft Boy, when I wrote it, I was just happy to be here. Like I was just happy to have made a book and to have a platform of people who want to read it and will buy it. Um, So it was very much, I was trying to please everyone with it. And I was trying to be palatable and be accepted Um, And that's because in my own life, that's what I wanted. You know, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to earn people's acceptance by performing this like really politically correct, like spotless, um, non-threatening, non-harmful person, Um, which like no one is, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's impossible not to harm people that the most important thing is what comes after that harm 
the change and the growth and the accountability, you know what I mean? And the mm-hmm. addressing of, um, of, of, of victims and people who are victimized, like that's what matters. And I think now, because I've accepted my own humanity and now my standard for, for the love I received and the respect that I deserve is so much higher. Now my vision for the possibilities of my life is like, so like, oh my goodness, there's things I can't say just cause I, not cause I don't feel comfortable saying them, but because mm-hmm. I don't want things to be taken out of context. And I need sure. to like, again, we've been talking for what, like almost two hours I and know. I don't want to like <laughs> overwhelm anyone, but like literally there was a point, I'll say this, there was a point during that social media break year in which like I didn't want to live anymore you know um and when I look back on that time I can't believe how like limited my view was of myself Mm -hmm. And what I was in my potential. Um, ultimately, that place came from a place of hurt. And I was in so much pain that I just wanted to release and I wanted a reprieve from it. But but now I look at my life and I'm like, yo, like I want to live, you know, I want to live for me. It's not for anyone else no more. You know, it's like right. I wake up in the morning like excited to be working on the things that I'm working on. Like, you know, I'm working on some crazy stuff now. I'm not even going to tell y'all. Y'all, y'all got to wait. because I'm it's, really excited. It's, it's going to be major. Um, but I couldn't have got to that place without going through the dark place first. And right. so that is probably the biggest thing I could offer anyone listening right now is like, keep going. You know what I mean? Like you deserve to live and to be loved and to grow and to be held and growth is not this comfortable process. It's uncomfortable. It is like, you have to die to be reborn. And, um, you got this, you know, like, it doesn't always feel like that, but the very fact that you're alive and breathing is the product of many miracles. So, you know, I can't wait to see what you do in the future, Fiona, I can't wait yeah. to see what I do in the future. I'm, just glad, to, I'm just glad to be here, honestly. I, I really appreciate everything that you've shared with us and just being so open and honest. Um, I'm I'm so grateful that we got to do this. And I really, really Man. just want to like let, tell you how much I appreciate your time and your work. Um, this has been so lovely and i'm so glad we're back in touch likewise same and let's keep in touch and i know like we're going to be doing like screenwriting stuff and like writing yes yes yeah i want to be involved uh awesome well thank you for having me in this space if you're listening thank you for listening yes thank you so much Uh, where where can people since you are back online where can people find yeah yeah um i am dave g poetry on twitter and on instagram um I, uh, I facebook.com slash Dave G poetry will take you to my Facebook fan page. Um, I think I'm also Dave G poetry poetry on YouTube and I'm going to be uploading more YouTube content. Um, and yeah, if you're interested on my 
in purchasing my book or hearing yes. more of my work, uh, you can go to www.davegpoetry.com. Um, it's all there. If you want to book me for anything or just want to yeah. reach out, you know, say hi. I'm a personable person. Um, you know, I like I like having conversations like this one. So, uh, yeah, I would love to just be in community with 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 you all. And thank you awesome. so much again, Fiona, for having me on your podcast. Of course. Super fun. Of course. Um, thank you all again yeah. for listening. Um, this has been Fiona Winch and David Gaines. Yeah. Have a good one, y'all.